Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, please open up to the book of John. We're going to continue our sermon series as we go through this Christmas season. We are uh, looking through John's gospel and looking to the person of Jesus. Last week, we started by looking at John and kind of giving a theological foundation for John's gospel. Uh, This morning, as we continue, we're going to be in John 1, verses 1 through 12. So if you can open your Bible there, that will probably be a good place for you to to look to God's word this morning. Um, So follow along as I read our passage of study for this morning together. Uh, You don't have to read out loud. You can read in in silence. Uh, The Word of God says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. As we come into this study uh, through John's gospel this morning, I I thought that it would be helpful to to read you a little bit of a story. So uh, do we have any C.S. Lewis fans in the room? Any C.S. Lewis fans? All right, cool. Any Chronicles of Narnia fans specifically? Well, good. So the, the story that really kind of inspired uh, me this week came from, um, from the magician's nephew. And so uh, as you hear this this morning, I think it's a helpful illustration as we, we look into God's word, as we think about Jesus being the light of our salvation. And um, so hear these words from, from C.S. Lewis. In the darkness, something was happening at last. A voice had begun to sing. It was very far away, and Diggory found it hard to decide from what direction it was coming. Sometimes it seemed to come from all directions at once. Sometimes he almost thought it was coming out of the earth beneath him. Its lower notes were deep enough to be the voice of the earth herself. There were no words. There was hardly even a tune. But it was beyond comparison, the most beautiful noise he had ever heard. It was so beautiful he could hardly bear it. The horse seemed to like it too. He gave the sort of whinny a horse would give if after years of being a cab horse, it found itself back in the old field where he had played as a foe and saw someone whom it remembered and loved coming across the field to bring it a lump of sugar. God, said the cabbie, ain't it lovely? Then two wonders happened at the same moment. One was that the voice suddenly joined by the others. More voices than you could possibly count. They were in harmony with it, but far higher up the scale. They were cold and tingling and silverly, silvery voices. <laughs> the second wonder was that blackness overhead all at once was blazing with stars. They didn't come out gently one by one, as they do on a summer evening. One moment there had been nothing but darkness. The next moment a thousand, thousand points of light leapt out, single stars and constellations and planets and brighter and bigger than any in our world. There were no clouds. The stars and the new voices began at exactly the same time. If you had seen it and heard it as Diggory did, 
you would have felt quite certain that it was the stars themselves which were singing and that it was the first voice, the deep one, which had made them appear and made them sing. Glory be, said the cabbie. I'd have been a better man all my life if I'd known there were things like this. There are some things in life that are indescribable. Moments where the light bulb just seems to come on and it finally all makes sense. And hopefully for many of us, that moment was the moment that we became a Christian. When we encountered God for the very first time. Hopefully for others of us, that moment will come as we walk through the season of Christmas. And hopefully by God's grace and mercy, as we continue to encounter the experience of life-altering moments of God's power, and specifically that we would encounter the power that comes through the gospel. In the Chronicles of Narnia, there was a world of darkness that needed a great light. And in our world, there is a darkness that comes from sin. But this Christmas, we look to Jesus, who is God's light, to guide us, to teach us, and to give us life. And so this morning, our our two main points uh, of this message really are that Jesus is the light of our salvation and that humans are darkened by sin. And so let's look again at John 1, verses 1 through 5. And that passage, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John's gospel begins with an echo that we can hear from Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John's main emphasis to his readers through this gospel is to show them that Jesus is that Son of God who has come to bring and buy their redemption. And in verse 4, we really see the, the thrust of what we want to drive at this morning is that Jesus is life, and in him was life and light for all men. These are two of the most important traits that we can think of uh, as we see the person of Jesus, that he is light that reveals God's plan, God's character, and God's will, and he is the source of life for all human beings. Uh, this week I got to spend some good time with some, some really great theologians, J.C. Ryle and R.C. Sproul. I got to read through some good stuff from them this week. And, and J.C. Ryle, he says this, he says, In the eternal counsels of the Trinity, Christ was appointed the source, the fountain, and the origin, and the cause of life. As we look to Jesus this morning, we see that as he was in the beginning, as he was with the Father and the Spirit, that Jesus was designated to be the source of life for humanity. He was the one who spoke and brought things into existence. He is the one who holds all things together. He is the voice that speaks from the deep and drives us and and helps us to see that God is near. Through these verses, some, some through church history, like Calvin and Cyril, have thought that these verses that Jesus is life refers to his preservation of all created things. Um, that, that he is, through Christ's provision, through providing for things, that he is keeping things in its existence. He keeps them alive and in order. Uh, Martin Luther, on the other hand, he thought that, the, that Jesus is the only one to apply spiritual life to the people of God, the people of this world, that Christ is the source of all life to the souls of men. And I think that this is probably the better translation for these verses because 
in verse 4, it ends, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. He was the source of life, but the light that brings out and sustains and applies life to all people. In verse 5, it says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There are two things that come from this verse that are very interesting. The first is that spiritual life, the spiritual light which Christ offers to man, has been neglected since the fall and is still rejected by unregenerate men. So it says here, the light shines in the darkness. And then later in verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So if God has spoken life into existence, as he has brought light into being, we see that this light is shining in a dark place, right? As we dim the lights down and bring them back up, the light is here, it is present, it is existent, but the question becomes of how do people receive it? Do they receive it with openness and and love and, and with respect, or do they reject it for the sake of their own good? or their own preference. The natural heart of man to, uh, that we find in the Bible, we, we see it time and time again, that man has always been darkened by the fall. That the majority of mankind has neither understood or received the light that has been offered by Christ. As we look today, we, we probably would affirm the reality that it's hard to come by fellow Christians, is it? It's hard to come by people who say, I believe in God, I, I'm living a life that honors him and I want to live for him. It's, it's hard to identify a large group of Christians, especially here as we live in New England. We go to work and we don't run into Christians around us. We sometimes are blessed to, to rub shoulders with them, but the majority of our context would tell us that most people do not accept this light. They reject it. And the reason they reject the light is because of the consequences of the nature of sin. As Adam and Eve rebelled against God, as they walked away from him, this led to a new nature for the rest of humanity in which they were not bent to running to God, but running from God. They were hiding in the bushes, to say. (laughs) But Christ's light, nonetheless, is shining. And so this inclination of humans to run from the things of God does not mean that there's a, a denial of God's existence. If anything, when we recognize the light, the light becomes all the more brighter. We see that God, through Jesus, is becoming uh, more and more real to us, and, and then all of a sudden the darkness seems to fade away, and the light comes in a triumphant way and overcomes us. And the second half of verse 9 says, or verse 5 says, the darkness has not overcome it. So if Jesus is the light who shines in dark places, the reality is this, friends, that light exists to repel the darkness. It does not exist just to give us a little shine. It it exists to push against the darkness and, and bring us and show us into what is trying to be exposed. So if Jesus is the light who is exposing life with God, his goal and work is to show us God's goodness through salvation. Uh, one commentator has said this, Christ hath shined in all the ages in the works of creation and providence. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, where is God's light? How is he at work in people? Look through creation and provision. Do you have a roof over your head? 
Do you have food on your table? I don't know about you, but uh, I, I thought, you know, on Thanksgiving, they always say put on your fat pants, right? Well, it wasn't Thanksgiving Sunday I put on my fat pants. It was Sunday, this Sunday, that I put on my fat pants, <laughs> All the food came in, and it hit you hard. But the, the reality is, is that we eat well. We have things that are in front of us. God continues to provide for us and show us that he cares for us, that he loves us, that he is existent. Really, the truth is that we are not without witness. God is here. He's at work. And every creature is a kind of professor that readeth man a lecture concerning God of his wisdom and power and goodness. Isn't it true that most of us try to right our wrongs and that we're searching for truth? Isn't that true? We're like Diggory in Narnia. We come to seeing that, that existed here as he comes and he hears this amazing singing come out and the people, and, and all of a sudden he's overcome with the light. What all led to this was actually a fight. He came to a, a lamppost and he saw that there was a, a sky that was coming in and, and a battle that was going on between the people. They were arguing and disagreeing with each other and then all of a sudden we see this opening scene where he just s- sees the earth rumble. And there's no singing. It's just this constant noise. And then more and more voices come in, and the light overcomes the entire darkness, and it all shines just immediately at once. Uh, but we're also like Diggory and Arnia because we come to seeing uh, fights in life, and we think, what can we do? We see the gray skies and the gloom around, and we watch from a distance, and sometimes we, we try to make things right, and we recognize that we can't do it that we're weak, that we can't make the wrong right, or that we're missing what it takes. We struggle, we push, we're in the dark, we're scrambling. And then someone turns on the light and we see. We're trying to gather back into the sanctuary. And somebody dims the lights and then turns the lights on. And we again see. At some point, every one of us has been in a place where we've been searching through the, gro- the gloom of life, that we've been recognizing that we need some sort of light in the dark place of our spiritual lives. We put our hope in things like work, like family, like relationships and materials, and maybe we come to a place where we find a little bit of satisfaction, but something's still missing. They still seem like they're off. We encounter Christians and see that there's something different about them. And people mockingly say they have come to see the light. And while they mock, it's absolutely true. Because the Lord Jesus has turned on our lights. He has brought us to see God. And through God's word, we're brought to truth and the lights continue to turn on. And it's like that dimmer switch that just continues to increase its brightness. And as we run to Jesus, as we see the light of God, the light becomes brighter and brighter. And then we sing loudly in praise of his might and his power. We witness the constellations and the planets and the world. And we come alive and our voices grow louder. And we sing that the light of God has come. Much as the sun is the center of our universe and the planets that exist around us, Jesus is the center of of the believer's universe. He's a radiant light that continues to warm our souls. 
and give us hope and show us that God is indeed near. Jesus is the light and life of men. But we also know that there's a problem in our context. Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he, be, he gave the right to become the children of God. So we see clearly that there are people who are denying him. Uh, but let's see what happens in Narnia as the scene continues. We see this loud voice, this, the voices erupting, the stars have lit. And then all of a sudden we find out from Diggory, it says the, the voice on the earth was now louder and more triumphant. But the voices in the sky, after singing loudly with it for a time, began to become faint. And now something else was happening. Far away and down near the horizon, the sky began to turn gray. A light wind, very fresh, began to stir. The sky in that one place grew slowly and steadily paler. You could see shapes of hills standing up dark against it. All the time, the voice went on singing. There was soon light enough for them to see one another's faces. The cabbie and the two children had open mouth and shining eyes. They were drinking in the sound, and they looked as if it reminded them of something. And Uncle Andrew's mouth was open too, but not open with joy. He looked more as if his chin had simply dropped away from the rest of his face. His shoulders were were stooped and his knees shook. He was not liking the voice. If he could have looked away from it by creeping into a rat's hole, he would have done so. But the witch looked as if, in a way, she understood the music better than any of them. Her mouth was shut, her lips were pressed together, and her fists were clenched. And ever since the song began, she had felt that this whole world was filled with a magic different from hers and stronger. And she hated it. She would have smashed the whole world or all worlds to pieces if it would only stop the singing. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Sin darkens the human heart. Sin keeps us from God in rebellion. It leads us not in the light of God, but in the darkness of deception and separation. In our study through Genesis, we had heard that the world was only evil continually and that every thought of humans was corrupt. Sin had corrupted humans in God's presence. And in John, there's a statement that rings so true in our world. It's that that statement we just read that he was in the world, the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. Do you see the progression? Do you notice this? That he, the very creator God, the one who has made the world, the one who holds it together, that has made these people, that has made them in his image and his likeness, that as he comes into the world, the one who's created all these things, he is now not even recognized by his own creation. There's such a separation and void between their existence. This is like going back to the school that you grew up in. 
Have you ever done that? Have you ever had the opportunity to like, go back to high school I mean, five, ten years later? I, I've been out of high school for some time now, but I, I think the, the most awkward thing that I can imagine in my life is walking through the halls of Bacon Academy. <laughs> it would all seem different. Uh, recently, I, I, I've, many of you have known that I've been coaching boys soccer a, in a middle school. And as I've walked through the school and as I've seen the different things that, that are just happening between these kids, I'm just mind blown. I don't recognize any of it. I, I recognize that there are kids that they're, uh, I, I think back on my time in, in middle school and think through some of the things I was going through. And I, I just look at these guys and I'm like, this is totally different. There is a different world that exists right now. But it feels awkward every time I step into the hallway. I think, am I supposed to be here? It's like when I drive into Colchester, I grew up right next to Hebron and grew up in Colchester. And I have to say, every time I drive through, it's so familiar but so unfamiliar at the same time. I walk through Stop and Shop and think of my friends who used to stock the shelves. And now I see other high schoolers that are stocking the shelves. And I think, wait, when did all of that happen? I see people share stories with their friends that they grew up with and that they continue to hang out with and that they grew up on the same street and they're getting together. And I look back and think to myself, I don't think I get together with anybody I grew up with. It sounds a little depressing, doesn't it? But then I think to what the Lord has done, that as I have become a Christian, as I have come to know Jesus, as the lights have come on, I can walk into familiar places and feel unfamiliar because a new light has come into my life. A new family has developed through God's people in the church. And this is not to say that I don't like my friends from school or that I wouldn't hang out with them, but when I do come into uh, Colchester, I now see something beautiful. Though it feels unfamiliar and though it feels dark, I see the opportunity of light. I hope that these people become Christians. I hope that in my hometown, that my family that's around, that they would come to know Christ. And I don't see something that's depressing. I now see something that can be used by God for his glory. But my life is not there. My life is now in Christ. And I am perfectly content with knowing that Though I might not hang out with the kids that I grew up with on the same street, that I now get to hang out with God's kids and get to continue to be a witness for him. Jesus comes into the world. He came into the world to reveal God's love, to reveal the grace of God in the gospel, to reveal God's power and might. But the text tells us here that the world did not know him, that it didn't obey him, that it didn't believe him. That's the true progression we need to see here. It's not just the sense of unfamiliar. It's, in fact, the sense that this has been created by God. God knows this intimately, but they don't know him intimately. It's also the sense in which they have been called by God and commanded by God to walk in obedience to him, but they disobey him. They run from him. They've been called to believe. They have all of the existence, all of the provision to believe, and yet they still do not believe. In verse 9, it says, the true light was coming. There's a commentator named Aerosmith, not the band, a commentator. And he says that Christ is the true light in four different respects. 
The first is this, is that he is undeceiving light. That the true light is in opposition to all false lights. He's an undeceiving light. He shows the truth of God. He is pure in every sense. The second reason, or the second truth that comes from this is that he is real light. He is true in opposition to ceremonial lights and shadows. We, we get to set up our, our Christmas tree. You know, I, I laugh even here. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Rachel is allergic to real Christmas trees, so we don't have a real Christmas tree in the house. But we pull this thing out of the basement every year. Right? I'm really thankful Lauren Avery helped her set up the tree yesterday. I didn't have to touch it, which was amazing. But we pull the tree out of the box, we set it up on the stand, and we plug it in. We plug in these lights. It's not real light. It's a light bulb that's produced by electricity. We see this light that comes from this fake tree that's all wound up together, and it just plugs in. It's a ceremonial type of light. It's something we pull out of the box every year to look back and to say, look at how cool it is. It's, it's time for Christmas. And then the Hallmark Channel comes on, and the real, real fake light comes on. <laughs> Perfect lives and hot cocoa in a small town. Not the truth. <laughs> so first, he's an undeceiving light. He's in opposition to all false lights. Second, he is real light. He's not just some sort of ceremonial thing we pull out of the box. Third, he is underived light. He is true in opposition to all light that is borrowed, communicated, or participated from another. He is his own source. He's like the sun. We don't know how the sun's powered or where it gets its energy from or how we can reproduce it, but we know that it is working through in itself. He doesn't borrow from another. He doesn't communicate another message. He is the source of light. And then fourth, he is the supereminent light. He is true in opposition to all that is ordinary and common. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance and glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And by the power of his word, he upholds the universe. Christ is preeminent. There is no other like, life like him. There are some ways that we respond to this and some different ways that we can interpret these things. Um, one is that we can differ on the, the way that it, the text says here that the true light was coming into the world. Some connect the words with light and others with every man. And, and uh, J.C. Ryle, he would say that every man might be the better option, that this light exposes itself to every man and they can't hide from it. There's nothing that they can do to stop its coming. But here we see that God has given us a light that's come in Jesus in a dark place. But there's nothing that darkness can do to stop it. Jesus is the light. Humans are darkened by sin. But we have good news. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Though Jesus has come as a light that's been rejected, there are those that will believe in him and then not only believe, but also become God's children. What an incredible feature. I'm thinking uh, Rachel and I and a couple of folks from church, we had the opportunity to go to a a concert a couple weeks ago with Casting Crowns and uh, Hillsong and all that. It was, man, talk about lights, right? 
I think my, my chest was thumping like a week later from the bass, but it was just an incredible opportunity. But every time I go to a Christian concert, if, if anybody else experienced this, they go around and they pass out those compassion international things, right? Where you can adopt a child and, and you can help provide for their education and their food and, and everything that's going uh, through that, right? And, and so they have all these people, they line up and they, they bring out these cards. And it's just an incredible testimony every time because these children's me- needs are really actually met. At Church of Hope, we actually sponsor a child named Jihan. She's from Tanzania. Um, so if you want some information about that, talk to Nadine or Brittany. The kids help with that. Um, but uh, we get the opportunity to, to bring them in and make sure that they're cared for. And that's what it looks like for us to be the family of God. As we become God's children, God cares for us in such a way that all of our needs are met, especially the need of, of being in relationship to him. Though we were far off, God, as he saves us, he brings us close. He br- draws us in and we become his children. And not just the sense in which we are like a second-class child, but that we are heirs with God, that we are sons, we're daughters, we're recognized as his own kids. Whether we look different, whether we act different, or talk different, if we've been saved by the Lord Jesus, if we believe in him, we now become his children. God takes us from being enemies to now being his own kid. Just let the weight of that thought hit you for a second. We were enemies with God at the cross, Yet through the cross and Jesus' sacrifice, we have now become God's own children if we would believe and repent. What an incredible truth. The light can come on and we can now have a family. But I also love verses 6 through 8 in this passage. Probably like, why? Why? <laughs> It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He, was, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Sandwiched right in between this beautiful illustration of God being through Jesus, Jesus being divine, Jesus being a light that's been rejected by men, you see that God sends somebody in verses 6 through 8 through the person of John. Here's God's power and might. Here's the rejection of humanity. But here's the messenger. And John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is sent, and it tells us that he was full of the Holy Spirit. In Luke, uh, in Luke chapter 1, we actually see that, that God was working through John's mother, through his womb, to empower him with the Spirit, to send him out to be the forerunner, to make the way and make the path for the Lord. So John is sent, and it tells us that he came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He, th- this word for witness and this word that's actually used as light here, so it's not the same word that is used to describe Jesus. It's actually the word that's used for a candle. John is a candle sent by God. He's a candle sent by God. All of his source, all of his energy, everything that he reflects comes from God. It's not in his own power. He's a candle that has been formed and shaped by God to shine a light to point people to the light that was to come, the light of Jesus. And the truth is that we as the church are called to be the light of Christ, that we're to shine the light of Jesus through the gospel. And the best way that we shine this light, the way that we raise our candle, is that we shine it together. 
One of my favorite things that we'll do is the candlelight Christmas service. There's something about dropping all the lights in the sanctuary and taking a single candle and watching as a hundred and something people gather together to raise up a candle and sing a song to the Lord. You see the beginning where it's dark and you've got one candle, you can kind of see one person's face. But then as every person gets their candle, everything starts to shine brightly and you can see the room. You can see the, the light. It's exposed. As, as the church, we're called to shine the light together. And so as you think about Christmas this season, I want to encourage you and challenge you. God has given the church a great commission. It's to make disciples of all nations. God doesn't suggest that the church engage in the mission. He commands it. He gives us a command to make disciples of every nation. And so every week that God gives us as we gather together is an opportunity to proclaim the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has died for our sin, that he was buried, and he rose from the grave. If we repent and believe, we can now have life in him. Every week when we gather together, we have that opportunity. Friends, that is our call. That's our commission. And and the good news is, just as John was given the Spirit of God, we've been given the Spirit of God to witness about this good news. And so my challenge is this, is that you would share the good news this season. The Christmas wouldn't be about fake lights, borrowing something out of a tree and propping it up, but the Christmas would be about sharing the light of Jesus. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, how in the world do I start? Where do I begin? Give me something measurable. Well, here's a challenge then. Begin by making a list of three people that you know, that you can share the gospel with. Pray for them every day. Pray that God would soften their hearts to the message of Jesus. Pray that God would give you clear words to share with them. Make this list. Hold it. Put it in your Bible. Put it on your cell phone. Put it someplace that is continuously in front of you. Pray for these folks. But also remember the framework of the gospel message. God, man, Christ, response. Invite these people to join you at church this season. We're expecting God to do some pretty great things through Hebrew and Church of Hope. If you didn't notice, there's lots of chairs now. And we believe that God will bring people into these chairs that need the gospel. We know that there's a lot of them. But we believe that God can fill them. And not just for the sake of saying, hey, look at all the people squished in this sardine can, but to say, here's an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Pray for God to fill these chairs with people who need the light of Jesus. Invite those three people to join you over the next three Sundays, and especially for Christmas Sunday and Christmas Eve. Invite your friends, your neighbors, the people you work with. Invite your family members and come and join us and and tell them that the goal is to hear the gospel. Second church, today and in the coming Sundays, I want to challenge you to cherish the times that we have together. As we sing about Jesus and as we have families share the testimony of God's goodness and work in their lives, as we pray together, remember the grace of God in the gospel. We were enemies of God, and now through Jesus we can become children of God. Cherish these moments. 
Take every Sunday and every day that you gather with these Christians from this place as precious. God has brought us together in the gospel to be a family. This is your family. Share about God's work in your lives and every week with each other. Pray with each other. Share the victories. Share the defeats. Share with authenticity. Don't just share for the sake of sharing. Embrace the gospel in this community by talking it out, by praying together, by singing it out, by reaching out, and maybe even through repentance. Ray Ortland said this, A heart aloof from God grows aloof from others. It engages in merciless compassions and endless fault-finding. Therefore, all restoration begins by going back to God first. Prodigals that we are. We are running, but God is near. The wonderful thing is that when we lose our way, God is not hard to find again. He has made himself very findable. He is in the light, right out there in the place of truth, honesty, openness, confession, and owning up. God himself awaits us there. We sinners can go to him freely through the cross of Christ. There in the light, but only in the light, everything gets better in our relationships with one another too. The price we pay is to face ourselves. That is humiliating and painful. It's why we shun the light. There are episodes in our past that we don't want to think about. Harsh words and acts of betrayal and broken promises and worse. We shove these memories down into the darkness of our excuses and blame shifting. We refuse to call sin, sin. We feel too threatened by what we have done, even to admit it to ourselves, much less confess it to others. But those places of deepest shame are where the Lord Jesus loves us the most tenderly. Is there any reason not to walk in his light together? Where we recover fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin? It is so refreshing to come back out into the light of honesty again where we first met the Lord. It is there that ex-friends can be regained by love. It is there that Jesus is glorified in the eyes of this world. If we believe in the gospel, it cultivates a a culture that reflects the gospel. Jesus is the light of God, and in him there is eternal life. Through the gospel there is clarity, hope, and joy. But the question becomes, will we shake and clench our fists towards God, or will we open our hands to embrace the good news of the gospel in Christ Jesus? The story of Narnia ended this way. As the witch clenched her fist and she wanted to end all worlds, the horse stood with its ears forward and itching. Every now and then it snorted and stamped on the ground and it no longer looked like a tired old cab horse. You could now well believe that its father had been in battles. The eastern sky changed from white to pink and from pink to gold and the voice rose and rose till all the air was shaking with it. And just as it swelled to the mightiest and most glorious sound it had yet produced, the sun arose. A Diggory had never seen such a sun. The sun above the ruins of Charn had looked older than ours. This looked younger. You could imagine it laughed for joy as it came up. And as its beam shot across the land, the travelers could see for the first time what sort of place they were in. It was a valley through which a broad, swift river wound its way, flowing eastward 
towards the sun. Southward there were mountains. Northward there were lower hills. But it was a valley of mere earth, rock, and water. There was not a tree, not a bush, not a blade of grass to be seen. The earth was of many colors. They were fresh, hot, and vivid. They made you feel excited until you saw the singer himself, and then you forgot everything else. If we look to Jesus, we will see the singer himself. For those who receive him, believe in his name, he has given the right to become children of God, but not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but born of God. Pray with me this morning. Father, as we look to Jesus the light, may we be encouraged that his light shines in the darkness and that the darkness cannot overcome it. Though we are great in our sin, your mercy is more. Though we are broken, you make us whole. Though we are often blind and wandering, you continue to draw us near through grace. Lord, as we celebrate your supper this morning, as we remember that Jesus has died for us, may we be encouraged and strengthened as your people to continue to live on mission for you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I want to invite uh, our elders to come forward. We're going to take the Lord's Supper this morning.